Welcome back to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about reclaiming health, enhancing fertility, and preparing for pregnancy. I'm Kristen Cornett, a holistic nutritionist and functional wellness practitioner at Tiny Feet. And I'm Dr. Haley Knight, a naturopathic doctor and certified nutritionist at Synergy Women's Healthcare in Portland, Oregon. Our goal with this show is to educate and empower couples with the knowledge they need to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have the healthiest baby possible. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We certainly hope that you're able to find everything that you're looking for here on the podcast, but if you need additional resources to help you on your fertility journey, you definitely have some options for how to learn more from us. If you're looking for personalized one-on-one guidance for your health or fertility struggles, you can learn more about working remotely with me, Kristen, by visiting my website at tinyfeet.co, or you can schedule a free 20-minute phone consult right now through the link in the episode description. If you're local to the Portland, Oregon area, you can learn more about seeing Dr. Haley in person at her clinic by visiting drhaley.com. We've also created an online course together called Fertile in Five Masterclass, which walks you through everything you need to know to prepare for a healthy pregnancy. Visit bit.ly forward slash Fertile in Five to learn more about the course and get signed up. If you'd like to get a free preview of what you can expect in the Fertile in 5 course and learn all about the most important nutrients and supplements to include in your preconception and pregnancy routine, you can sign up for the free mini course called How to Choose the Best Prenatal Supplements, and the link to enroll is in this week's episode description. You're listening to episode 69, where we're going to be discussing what you should be talking to your doctor about when it comes to preconception care. In other words, how to make sure that you receive important medical care that can help you prepare for the healthiest possible pregnancy. And you should be starting this at least three months before you want to get pregnant. The current reality in the U.S. at least is that only about half of doctors are aware of the current preconception care guidelines and even fewer of them are actively sharing these topics and interventions with their patients. The point of today's episode is to help you have a better understanding of what the preconception guidelines are, why they're important, so you can prepare for your doctor's appointments and ensure that you get the best care possible. This is really just an overview of the things that need to be talked about in a preconception care visit for a full discussion of everything you'll want to bring up and tons of resources to walk you through it. You can find all of this information and more in Fertile and Five Masterclass. So let's dive in and get started. And I'm going to start with just a quick overview of why preconception care is important. I'm assuming that a lot of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while probably already know why this topic is important. And I think we actually kicked off the podcast with the very first episode with a preconception care kind of discussion about why this is so important, but we didn't go into all of the details of really what needs to be discussed in that first visit. So let's talk a little bit about why this is so important. So the reality is that your and your partner's health before pregnancy has a profound impact on not only your ability to conceive, but also the health of your pregnancy and the health of your child in childhood and all throughout adulthood. So preconception care basically just means intentionally improving your health so that you can lower your risk for complications, both for yourself and your baby, before you start trying to get pregnant. So like I mentioned, ideally this would happen at least three months ahead of time. Like we always talk about how we want you to start supplements like a prenatal vitamin at least three months in advance, but all of these preconception care topics should be at least pursued on that time frame, if not a little bit sooner. And there are some things that we talk about in here that are good to just 
make sure you have your eye on for any woman of childbearing age. So for instance, like being on a prenatal vitamin, that's a great idea for any woman who may at some point become pregnant in the near future. So uh, we kind of call this time period, the three months before pregnancy, we refer to it as like the preconception trimester. So when you think of pregnancy as three trimesters, it's really more like five trimesters because you have the preconception trimester and the postpartum recovery trimester added to those three trimesters of pregnancy. So we know that research is telling us that we can reduce the risk of chronic illness in children by engaging in this behavior before pregnancy. So we're talking about a lot of the things that we just consider normal now in in children's health that, that really isn't normal at all. So things like eczema, allergies, asthma. We think maybe that these things are genetic um, to some degree, like there's a genetic predisposition to them. Most people are led to believe that it's just genetics, that's the whole story, but it's really more like 50% genetics and 50% environment. And when we say environment, we we mean the environment inside your body as well as the environment around you. So we're talking about your nutrition and diet, supplement intake, your toxic exposures, which we all have some level of toxic exposure. We're talking about your lifestyle, things like your sleep, stress, um, any like emotional trauma that you might've been through. If you're experiencing inflammation in your body, these are all important to the health of your pregnancy, your baby's development and their long-term health. And one of the reasons for that is that each of these factors impact something called the epigenetics of your baby. Epigenetics basically refers to changes that are made to the DNA, which alters its expression. So the sequence of your DNA, like the, the order and like pairing of the, the base pairs in your DNA strand that make up your genes, all of that stays the same, but epigenetics changes how those genes are expressed. So like which ones are turned on and which ones are turned off. And that has a big impact on the long-term risk for chronic illness and the development of certain conditions. So this is what we're talking about with your health environment before pregnancy that influences epigenetic expression in egg cells for you, in sperm cells for your partner. And then those epigenetic changes are passed on to your baby um, via epigenetic inheritance. And that happens like at the time of conception. And then there's this whole period at the beginning of conception where there's this like epigenetic reprogramming of that embryo that eventually becomes your baby. So some of the things that we're talking about that can risks that can be reduced by engaging in good, solid preconception care are um, risks in your baby include things like autism, metabolic problems like obesity and diabetes developmental delays, which can encompass several different types of conditions. Um, Also allergic disorders and immune dysfunction like allergies, asthma, eczema, autoimmune conditions, and even long-term risk for cardiovascular disease in children. And then when it comes to your pregnancy, um, engaging in these behaviors can also reduce complications during gestation, such as miscarriage, preterm birth, stillbirth, preeclampsia, and gestational diabetes. So long list of things that you can have a positive impact on by doing the things that we're going to talk about today. So I think that's a pretty decent overview of why this is important. I hope you guys are feeling that (laughs) at this particular point. So now I'm going to have Dr. Haley go over our kind of our first step, which is making sure that you're properly assessed for or are talking to your doctor about medical conditions that you may or may not already be diagnosed with. Yeah. Thanks, Kristen. 
Yeah, preconception care is pretty amazing. It's a pretty new concept uh, that's been around for about, I mean, only about 30 years. So all this research that's coming out has been pretty mind-blowing for a lot of the scientists and um, people who are putting money into this research. And um, it's quite amazing how much just that preconception trimester can uh, reduce all those conditions that Kristen mentioned. So um, not only is it fairly new, but um, it's something that, again, that Kristen talked about that a lot of doctors don't um, don't really know about, don't know about these guidelines. And so we're going to talk about that right now. And so the first thing um, that you want to talk to your doctor about is if you have any medical conditions that have been shown in research to impact the reproductive outcomes and um, how that might you know, not only affect your ability to get pregnant, but stay pregnant, and then, of course, the long-term health of your baby. So those uh, conditions include autoimmune conditions like type, uh, diabetes type 1, but also diabetes type 2 is very important to talk to your doctors about. Um, obesity. So if you have a BMI over 30, then that does come with a higher risk for complications and um, epigenetic changes for your baby. Uh, high blood pressure, um, mood disorders, including depression and anxiety, which I know you all know, hopefully, that it's, that's actually pretty common. Um, a lot of women do suffer from some sort of depression and anxiety. Uh, also thyroid disease, again, very common, which uh, a I think it's even more than one out of 10 women have some type of thyroid disorder, whether diagnosed or not, a seizure disorder, or a blood clotting condition. So what that means is if you experience any of that, um, then you'll want to bring that up to your doctor. And then that actually puts you in a category where you may need additional nutritional supplementation to offset that inflammatory type of condition to um, give your baby what it needs in order to um, have a, the most optimal kind of epigenetic programming that happens during that first couple weeks of, of pregnancy. Um, you'll also want to talk to your doctor about things that might have happened in pregnancy previously if you've had a, um, a child before. So that's going to be complications like miscarriage, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, preterm birth, C-section, or again, any other complications that might have occurred that I didn't mention. So again, these are all really common uh, when, when women experience pregnancy. Um, myself, I've had a C-section. And so uh, what that means is they just, the doctor needs to be prepared that that might happen again in another pregnancy and then take the appropriate measures to be able to prevent that. So there's a lot of research that shows there's certain nutritional um, therapies that you can do to, to help try to prevent preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, preterm birth and all that. So, and your doctor really may not know about all of those things, like the, the natural therapies and interventions. And, and that's part of why we have this podcast for you guys and why mm -hmm. there are people like us kind of out there doing this work, because you can have multiple people on your medical team. Like this discussion is really for what you want to talk to your conventional care provider about. And then there may be opportunities like, you know, later we're going to talk about thyroid. That's a great opportunity to bring somebody else that's a little bit more integrative or functional onto your team to see if there are ways to 
manage this uh, differently. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and then lastly, uh, if you have a biological child, it is important to tell your doctor if your child has had any major medical conditions, such as a neural tube defect, a birth defect, um, a condition like autism, also something like allergies, asthma, ADD, or any other autoimmune condition like type 1 diabetes. And the reason why is everything that Kristen explained earlier is that those conditions, um, those you can reduce the risk of having another child with those type of conditions. It's not all just genetics. So it doesn't mean like your second child or third child is destined to have allergies. It actually means that there's some things that you can do in that preconception trimester to reduce the risk of that happening again. Awesome. So really good that's point. about it for that. If um, Once again, uh, Kristen mentioned the Fertile and Five course. If you actually want a whole list of these things, because I know we just kind of listed listed them out um, and you to be able to like take to your doctor, then that is available in the course as well. So Kristen's now going to talk about medications and supplements. All right. So this is going to be just a really quick overview. There are tons of different medications that you might be on or, you know, considering trying to get off of before pregnancy. And there are lots of different supplements that you might be considering, especially if fertility or infertility is part of your preconception story at this particular point. Um, so, you know, really the takeaway here is that you need to be talking to your doctor about any medication that you're currently on or considering taking. And you'll want to make sure that as you go into pregnancy, that you're on the lowest effective dose of the safest possible medication. There's a lot that we just don't know about how medications affect fertility and pregnancy outcomes. And the fertility piece is both women and men. So if your partner is taking something that could potentially affect sperm quality, we, we might not know if it does or not, but we want to make sure that that's part of the discussion that you're having with your doctor in case he is taking something that could affect his sperm quality. You know, you don't want to get down the road like a year and be struggling to get pregnant and have it be something that was maybe preventable because your partner was taking something that you didn't know affected semen quality. Um, so we do know that medications are intended to make changes to your biochemical pathways. And there's just so many side effects that are, that are kind of unknown, especially from a fertility and pregnancy perspective. And then with all of the new genetic data that we have coming to light, we are starting to understand quite a bit more how each individual person is really genetically unique. So what works for one person might not work for another person. This is what we refer to as bioindividuality. I'm sure we've talked about that several times, especially in the context of nutrition on the podcast. But what that means is that, you know, you might have a different response to medication or maybe a medication presents a higher risk for you. Like there are certain medications that can reduce your B12 and folate levels. And for instance, if you were to have like an MTHFR genetic variant and you're already prone to your methylation cycle not working very well, and you have this medication that's reducing those nutrients that you need even more, that could cause a much more serious issue for you than it would for somebody else. So just an example of some of the medications that you might, might want to talk to your doctor about are going to be like antidepressants, anxiety medication, or any other mental health related medications. If you're on something for acne, like a, like a low dose uh, antibiotic or something like that for acne or another medication that, that's meant to treat that, anything that alters your hormones, you would definitely want to speak to your doctor about. 
Migraine medications, those are common. I have several clients that have come in taking those um, steroids or immune suppressants for an inflammatory or an autoimmune condition. All of those are examples of drugs that we don't have great data for as far as how they affect fertility and pregnancy for, but there are definitely some concerns with each of those categories. So for sure, bring those up. And then when it comes to supplements, there are a lot that are safe to take in pregnancy, um, some that you should be cautious with, and, and many that are just not safe at all. Most conventional doctors are going to be overly cautious, um, especially if they're not familiar with the products that you're taking. And because nutritional supplements and herbs really aren't part of the conventional medical education, your doctor is unlikely to be familiar with, with some of the things that you're taking if you are supplementing with quite a few things. So we do stand behind the safety as well as the importance during preconception and pregnancy of all of the supplements and brands that we recommend in the How to Choose Your Best Prenatal Supplements free course. Um, I talked about that in the intro. So if you're taking any of those formulas, those are all totally safe to continue. Um, and those are pretty essential to success and making sure that your baby has everything that it needs during pregnancy. Uh, but for other supplements, especially if you're taking herbal formulas or you're taking other therapeutic supports, we encourage you to work with a qualified practitioner that is familiar with what you're taking um, and can give you more individualized advice while you're actively trying to conceive and then in those early stages of pregnancy. So when clients of mine get pregnant, we sit down and we have a discussion like, okay, what are you taking? What's, what can you can continue? What do you probably not need anymore? What's not safe to take at all? Um, and that's just a, a great practice to have for anybody that's advising you on supplements um, to be having that conversation. I just want to add real quick too. I know a lot of women that are actively trying to conceive are worried about that first two weeks when they don't know if they're pregnant or not. Yeah. And, um, I would just like to say most overwhelmingly the, at least the pers the supplements that we're recommending is going to be safe during those first two weeks. And then you have a discussion once you do have a positive pregnancy test and then you say, okay, this is what we're going to like stop. And this is what we want to continue. Right. Yep. So if you get pregnant and you happen to be taking something and you get a positive and you're like, oh, I don't know if I should have been taking this during the two-week wait, most likely it's fine. Just make sure that you have a conversation with somebody that can give you more individualized advice and put your mind at ease. Um, there's also a great resource, Dr. Aviva Ram. She's amazing. She is very familiar with uh, herbs and provides a lot of education on that subject. So if you're taking something herbal, um, either for fertility or for another type of health condition or issue, um, we have a blog article that's going to be linked in the show notes here for the episode that just talks about like which, which herbs might be safe for pregnancy, which ones you might want to be cautious with, and which ones to avoid. Great. So that's all we're going to go over on herbs yeah. and supplements. Did you have anything to add, Dr. Haley? Uh, no, it's a big topic, but it's definitely something you'll want to work with a doctor with or somebody who's familiar with those type of medications and supplements. For sure. Moving so on to the next topic. Yeah, we're going to talk about is the vices, alcohol, caffeine, and marijuana. So we all know that uh, no amount of alcohol is safe in pregnancy. I really hope we all know that. Um, but what about uh, for fertility? So when we're trying to conceive or also during that like preconception care period. So according to research, both partners uh, should limit themselves to approximately four drinks a week or less and no more than one drink per occasion. So don't throw tomatoes at me yet. Um, that is actually just 
what the research says. So uh, there is some differences between male and females. Um, of course, males are going to usually have a higher, um, or you know, they're going to be taller. They're going to have a um, more body mass, and so likely it's okay if a, uh, a man can have two drinks per occasion. But again, the research really does state no more than four drinks per week to protect sperm quality and um, for women's fertility as well. And then uh, abstaining from alcohol consumption altogether is going to give you the absolute best results. And that has been actually shown, uh, especially if you're going through a reproductive endocrinologist or um, technology like IVF. So, um, and then this is going to be even more important if you're dealing with some type of chronic condition where inflammation is already elevated, uh, such as like diabetes, obesity, things like that. So that's alcohol. I know that is quick and dirty. And if you have questions, email Kristen and we'll, we'll get, we'll uh, talk more about that. So the next one is caffeine. I know that's a big concern for a lot of people. They're not really sure what to do. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit on the podcast before. Uh, so the research is showing that heavy caffeine consumption from any source of more than 500 milligrams a day can cause fertility and pregnancy complications and can even lead to childhood health conditions or issues. So um, the research shows that you want to keep your caffeine consumption under 200 milligrams a day, and that's likely safe for most individuals, even if you're pregnant. Um, so that's about a 12 ounce cup of black coffee or two shots of espresso. So definitely avoid caffeinated veg uh, beverages that are going to have a lot of sugar or unhealthy ingredients in them, like sodas or energy energy drinks. So even if it's like zero calorie energy drink, that's still something that we don't recommend at all. Um, much rather have you have a black uh, cup or black coffee, a cup of black coffee than go for an energy drink. So, um, and also try to keep it organic. So I think we mentioned that before too, that coffee can be really high in pesticides, even teas too. So luckily there's a lot of options to get organic coffee and tea. And so if, if that is something that you really want to indulge in, um, just make sure that it's clean and organic. Um, lastly about, uh, yeah, lastly about caffeine is that some individuals just don't tolerate caffeine. And I'm sure you know if that's you, right? So you have a little bit and you're just already jittery and shaky, maybe headachey. And um, that's something that you just know that you can't tolerate. So of course, like, don't drink it then. <laughs> so listen to your body. Even if you're just like, man, I just really need to pick me up. I mean, there's lots of other teas. There's like mushroom extracts now that are used for pick-me-ups. There's, um, you know, a, adaptogen type of things. There's lots of other really great things that you can take that are good for your body that doesn't include caffeine that um, typically are safe during the preconception period. We've had some, uh, some experts on the podcast that, that mm -hmm. do not agree with our recommendations around caffeine. I, I think if there's a history of miscarriage, you might be better on the, the lowest possible, po possibly zero um, end of the consumption of caffeine. Yeah, I would just be careful to say that, you know, the research doesn't show that caffeine in any amount is causing miscarriage. Um, but there, there is, I guess, a few small studies that she's found. This is Dr. Um, Jordan Robertson in Canada, um, where she's wrote a book 
she wrote a book on miscarriage. So, um, and she found some research, I think that had more to do with IVF studies too. So I think I mentioned that where if you're going, planning to go through IVF, then abstaining from caffeine altogether is, is probably a good idea. And usually, you know, my, my theory on that is that when you're going through IVF, a certain subset, especially the unexplained um, infertility is that there's some type of chronic low grade inflammation already happening. And so then you're, you're adding on this extra stressor on the body that may um, not be able to, to handle very well. So it's better just to abstain from it, just like alcohol. And then last one is marijuana. We do need to talk about this. Uh, here in the Northwest, we have legalized marijuana, so it's readily available for everybody. And um, unfortunately, there's just really not a whole lot of research on how it affects fertility and um, and the long-term health of the baby. There's a little bit of research that shows that it may cause cognitive and neurological delays, which I think is enough for us to say, uh, just avoid it altogether. Um, same with CBD. So that's an extract from marijuana and you may have seen it on the shelves. It's very popular nowadays, um, but we still just don't know if it's safe or not. We just don't have the research out there. So um, just like any other drug, uh, we say to avoid it before and during pregnancy, um, unless you're using it for, like if you really, really need it and you have a doctor, you know, if you're using it for like medicinal purposes and you have a doctor who really is um, well-versed on CBD or marijuana use, then just like medications where Kristen talked about that part, um, you'll just want to weigh your risks and the benefits with that. Um, on sperm parameters, there has been found, uh, they did find negative effects on sperm parameters. So it is suggested that even your male partner abstain from using marijuana in the preconception trimester before trying to conceive to optimize your chances of conception, but also of having a healthy conception. So that's what this whole episode's about anyway, protecting the health of your, of your child and that epigenetic programming. So that also goes for male partners. So that's it. Do you have anything else to add where, for our vices? Nope. Nope. I think that that pretty much covers the vices. I'm, I'm sure that a lot of listeners have probably heard some of the concerns around these things. Already. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're not overly surprised. So that brings so, us to our next section, which is um, genetic carrier screening. Yeah. And I don't think that we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I think this is a great one to discuss in the preconception context. I think this is offered a lot of times during pregnancy, which can be a stressful mm -hmm. time to get some of this information. But basically what we're talking about with carrier screening is screening pregnant women or women in the preconception period for whether or not they're at risk of passing on a genetic condition. In the past, this assessment has been based more on like race or ethnicity, so certain things that are more likely to affect certain groups of people, but it is becoming more popular to offer expanded genetic carrier screening before pregnancy, and we'll talk about why that is a good idea and something that we recommend to do. So, what this carrier screening is testing for is whether or not you're a carrier of what's called an autosomal recessive or an X-linked gene that's known to cause a particular disease or health complications. 
So these genes wouldn't be expressed in you. So these aren't conditions that you have. These, you only received one of the genes for this particular condition. And because the other of your parents didn't pass that gene onto you because it's recessive, then you don't express the condition. But if your partner were to be a carrier of um, this recessive or X-linked gene, then your baby could end up expressing this condition. And some of these are, are really things that you would not want your baby to end up with. And, and we'll talk about what some of those are here in just a minute. So if baby gets both genes, then they'll express that full disease. And so it's a good idea to start with screening mom. And then if mom comes back with a risk or is a carrier for one of these genetic conditions, then it would be a good idea to screen dad to see what the potential risk is of your baby expressing that full condition. So the reason that it's helpful and best to do this before pregnancy is that it's an opportunity to prevent these harmful and life-altering conditions. Um, birth defects are included in here, which are 20% caused by inherited genes. And then carrier screening can also help prevent diseases like sickle cell disease, cystic fibrosis, Tay-Sachs disease, fragile X syndrome, and probably like 150 something more of them. Um, Carrier screening could also potentially help reduce your risk of miscarriage or stillbirth. We know that those are both devastating events. We don't want any couple to have to go through that if they don't have to. Um, so this carrier screening, you know, if you get this, this testing during pregnancy, you're a lot more pressed to try to figure out what you want to do with this information. And it would just be better to kind of know what those risks are and whether or not there's anything you can do to mitigate that before you're already in that pregnancy period where your emotions are already running high. There's already, already a lot of stress and planning that's going into that period. And so if you were to find out while you're pregnant that you had a risk for your baby having one of these things, uh, we would just want to help you avoid that if possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good point. So that's a big topic. Um, what I typically say is that go to your doctor, ask if they give expanded carrier screening. Uh, most doctors should know what that means. Um, you have access to, you should have access to expanded carrier screening through your doctor's office. Um, I know the vast majority, I probably all reproductive healthcare clinics or reproductive endocrinologists offer this and actually kind of require it before you go through any type of reproductive um, technology procedures. Um, and so they're doing it preconception or, you know, during that fertility phase. So, um, but it's recommended just to get done again, like Kristen was saying before pregnancy. So you don't have to deal with, oh, I'm already pregnant. And now I have no idea if I actually pass this gene down to this baby and how do I find out? And you have to do um, screening and all that. And then, so if you do it before pregnancy, then you get, a, you, you could be sent to a genetic. So if you happen, you and your partner happen to have the same recessive gene, then you would um, be sent to a genetic counselor to be able to really decide what you want to do. Like, do you want to go through IVF and do genetic screening on the eggs um, or on the embryos just to make sure that it's um, an egg that doesn't have that particular condition. Um, and that, you know, they walk you all through that. So I know it, it sounds probably overwhelming to you right now, but 
you know, a good, it's pretty rare when you happen to have the same recessive gene, you and your partner, but obviously it does happen. That's why they, it's part of the preconception care screening guideline to even do this. Um, but the first step is just to get yourself screened or, you know, the female screened. And then if nothing comes up, which I see all the time, nothing comes up and then you're done. You don't have to go any further. You don't have to have genetic screening. And then you can have peace of mind just knowing, Hey, I don't have any type of, um, inheritable disease that I'm going to pass down to my, to my child. Peace of mind. Peace yeah, of mind of or planning. That is what this is. Yeah. Called. And, per, you know, prevention for having a, a child that has to suffer with like cystic fibrosis, that's totally preventable. That's the whole reason why they do this is because that is a preventable condition. Nobody has to go through that. So if you get, you know, do the due diligence and, and get the screening done. Okay. All right. Off my soapbox. Off the soapbox. <laughs> All right. On to the next topic. Uh, this might be a little bit of a touchy one, uh, but we're going to talk through it anyway and send you to your doctor for additional information and discussion. Yeah. If you have any concerns about this, that topic is immunity. Go ahead. Dr. Yeah. And I, the reason why we are talking about this is because it absolutely is a big part of the preconception care guidelines and that all your doctors are going to talk about this, especially uh, gynecologists or reproductive endocrinologists. They're all going to be talking about this. So you just, you need to know about it. Uh, so uh, the reproductive or sorry, the uh, preconception January 2019 guidelines say that women of reproductive age should have their immunization status assessed annually, so every single year, for tetanus toxoid, reduced diphtheria toxoid, an acellular pertussis, so that's Tdap, measles, mumps, rubella, hepatitis B, and varicella. Which is chicken. Um, and so basically what that means is that you, every year, women of reproductive age should be getting uh, to see if they're immune to these infections. Okay. So I can tell you right now that's actually not happening, <laughs> but that's what the guidelines say. And the reason why is because of the implications during pregnancy and to the child, if you aren't immune to these particular infections. So, um, now if you aren't immune to these infections, so if you didn't have the vaccines during childhood or get your boosters or all that, and you don't have antibodies to these particular infections, there's a couple um, vaccines that you can't get during pregnancy. So if you do find yourself pregnant and then you're also not immune, then you're just at risk of um, the two main conditions that or infections that really can cause the most harm is going to be rubella and chickenpox or varicella. And you can't give those vaccines during pregnancy. So um, then at that point, you know, you're just taking that risk. So ideally you would get screened for these antibodies, see if you're immune. Um, and then your doctor is likely going to recommend that you get the vaccine before you get pregnant. And then you have to wait a certain period of time, like two or three months, um, before you start trying to conceive again to, so you can boost up that immunity. Okay. So, um, now in regards to getting vaccinations, um, <laughs> other vaccinations that you can get during pregnancy. So conventional, conventional guidelines say that vaccinations in pregnancy is safe. However, 
like most public health um, guidelines, it's they're erring on the side of overall population health. So not each individual. They're not looking at you as an individual and being like, oh, for sure that vaccination is safe for you. So we want you to be more of your own advocate and get this tested before. So you can actually, if you decide this is right for you, get the vaccinations before you get pregnant, because we'd much rather you know, our opinion is it's much rather, we'd much rather have you have the vaccinations before pregnancy than during pregnancy. So, and let me give you a little bit more context is during pregnancy, they always recommend a DTAP or TDAP vaccination, but that is something that you potentially can get before pregnancy and still have the antibodies and, um, you know, not have to opt for getting that during pregnancy. Just just avoid any any potential risk. I mean, it, the thing about the studies around this is that it's not ethical to do randomized vaccine studies in pregnant women. You can't just like assign this group to get the vaccine and this group to not get the vaccine and then see what the outcomes are, which is more of the gold standard of how we study medical interventions. And so we just don't have the same data on this in pregnancy as we might have in, in other scenarios. So just to opt on the side of safety and do it beforehand if you can. Yeah, exactly. So usually with, um, with prenatal panels, like if you are already pregnant and then you go to your nine week checkup, so your very first prenatal visit, that's when they're going to run all of these antibody, immune antibody tests to see if you're immune. The preconception care guidelines is saying, do that before you actually go to your prenatal visit. So you should be having this done before so you can actually get the vaccines before pregnancy before and not during pregnancy. So- if that's something, yeah, if that's the, something that you and your doctor decide is right for you. So right. all of the ones that we talked about at the, all the, the toxoids that we talked about at the beginning, those are the, those are the conditions that you're going to be screened for. Yeah. And they're, and they're going to know all the doctors that, you know, they have the list of those. So you don't have to memorize those or anything. You just kind of tell them, um, you know, that you want to be screened for it. So, um, if you don't, if you do choose to vaccinate, um, once again, I mentioned this, but you want to wait at least three months before you start trying again, um, because if you get pregnant earlier than that, then that could lead to pregnancy complications like miscarriage. So uh, again, your doctor should be aware of this and will um, prep you at that time if that's something that you decide to get the vaccine for. And if you had, you know, like a previous reaction or, you know, any specific concerns that you have about vaccination, you know, those, those concerns are valid. You need to talk to your doctor about those and, and have an open discussion and, and discuss risk and make the decision that's right for you in your specific situation. Yep. Okay. So the next one we're going to talk about is uh, testing for other type of infections. So um, rubella and chickenpox is not the only infections that we want to be aware of. So Kristen, you can talk about a couple more. Okay. Awesome. So the first one of those is, um, STIs, sexually transmitted infections. Most doctors are going to test you for these at your preconception care appointment. Um, with some, you may need to ask to be tested. You know, the majority of you are likely in committed relationships and, you know, feel certain that you don't have any sort of STI. It's still a good idea just to test um, because 
have how harmful infections like this can be during pregnancy. Just to have that peace of mind, it should be covered by insurance. It's not going to like, you know, cost you an arm and a leg to do this testing um, and just, just get it for peace of mind, even if you're 100% sure that you don't have an STI. Um, next one to talk about is Zika virus. And I think that the media coverage on this has definitely died down quite a bit, but it is still a risk that you need to be aware of. This is not something that you would want you or your partner to be exposed to before or during pregnancy. Um, and it can cause a birth defect in babies called microcephaly. So before you decide to travel outside of the United States, definitely check the CDC Zika map to see if you are going to a place where you could be at risk um, for contracting the Zika virus. Most common places are Central and South America, Mexico, and Puerto, Puerto Rico. And then if you or your male partner um, have decided to travel to any of these locations, recently if you've been to one of these locations or you know you're going to be going to one of these locations, it's recommended to wait at least three months after you return before you start trying to conceive again. And then if just you are traveling, you'll just need to wait at least two months. And uh, wh whether you have any symptoms or not, this is, this is the recommendation, just to make absolutely certain that your baby is not going to be exposed to that during pregnancy. And then if you think that you could be or you know that you're already pregnant, just don't go to any places where you could be exposed to Zika virus. And the last one that we want to talk about in this category is toxoplasmosis. So this is a foodborne parasite that's found in raw meat, um, unwashed produce, water, dust, soil, and then probably the most applicable is going to be cat feces. Um, so if you have a cat, this is going to be particularly applicable to you. Um, people who get this parasite actually don't have any symptoms, but if you do end up getting it right before you get pregnant or during pregnancy, it can cause very serious damaging effects to baby and lifelong issues such as hearing loss, blindness, or intellectual disability. So this is an important one and, and prevention is really the key here. Um, so if you don't have a cat, but you're doing like gardening or spending time in or around like a sandbox or a lot of sand, uh, that is, it's important to just wear gloves and, you know, not touch your face or expose yourself to anything that you might pick up in those areas. Um, avoiding contact with stray cats or kittens. And then just avoid getting a new cat during preconception and pregnancy. Um, and then if you already have a cat, uh, ladies, you should not be the one to change the litter box. Or if you absolutely have to, it should be done every day because it takes, what is, it, is it 24 hours, Haley? That 24 hours, yeah. That it takes for it to spread after the cat poops. For it, yeah, basically. for it to become like active in the feces. So. Right. Um, and even that, it's interesting because, you know, when you clean the cat, I have a cat, uh, when you clean the kitty litter box, it's not like you're always going to get every single little piece, you know, like how thorough are you going to be? So if you absolutely have to clean the litter box, I mean, maybe even consider doing it twice a day, just be really thorough. Um, but I know I had Matt clean the litter box for me and lucky me, he, he ended up becoming, um, it's a habit for him. So he... <laughs> He does it all the time. He still does it, even though you guys are not. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Pregnant yet. Um, so this is something that you can test for. So if you're worried about it, you have a cat, you're concerned, you're actively trying to conceive or you're newly pregnant, you can get tested. There is an antibody test that you can request from your doctor. So I think that's it on other infections. Anything you wanted to add there? No, I think that's it. 
All right. On to our next big topic. Uh, very yeah. important topic. We actually have an entire episode on this. So we're just going to give you a quick overview of this one and then refer you to episode 39, where we talk about this in much more depth, um, both from a conventional and a functional perspective. And that is thyroid screening. Yeah. So, um, Conventional medicine, unfortunately, does not recommend universal thyroid screening for all women wanting to conceive, uh, which is actually really interesting because if you read the list of circumstances that they do recommend screening for, it applies to basically all women. <laughs> so I'm just going to read some of those off here. I imagine that you'll be in one of these categories. So uh, any woman over the age of 30, that's Kristen and I, so thyroid screening right there. Um, if you have a higher BMI, so if your BMI is over 35, if you're struggling to get pregnant, if you have a history of pregnancy loss or preterm birth, um, or any other autoimmune conditions such as like type 1 diabetes or, um, or if you have hypothyroid type of symptoms, so get this, fatigue depressed mood, feeling cold often. And that pretty much wraps everybody into that category. <laughs> oh, and so. I think one you didn't mention was family history of thyroid disease. So if you oh yes. Family history family of thyroid disease. That has a thyroid condition because those are so common. Like I'm, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure almost everyone listening to this has at least one of those risk factors. So in other words, yeah. So the point is, is get screened for your thyroid before you get pregnant. Um, and if your physician is balking at that, then I, I mean, this might be kind of brass, but like, um, just get a new doctor. <laughs> so, uh, we're focused on prevention. So we believe in testing all women for thyroid condition in the preconception trimester, especially again, one out of 10 is affected by thyroid disease. It runs in family. So, um, ask your doctor for a full thyroid panel, and that's going to include free T4, free T3. And there's two types of thyroid antibodies, which is thyroglobulin antibody or, or a TPO antibody, thyroid peroxidase antibody. So current research shows that your TSH, uh, thyroid stimulating hormone, uh, should be below 2.5. And anything above that can increase your risk of miscarriage and has been shown to have a reduced success of live birth in IVF studies. Um, there's a lot of evidence that shows that you really, when you're in this preconception trimester, to have uh, a TSH under 2.5. Doctors are going to differ on their opinions of this, and they also are going to differ on when they should treat with medications. Um, but our take is that if you have positive thyroid antibodies, so those two antibodies that I mentioned, if they come back positive and your TSH is above 2.5, then thyroid medication is indicated. You really should be started on thyroid medication. A typical dose is around 50 micrograms of levothyroxine um, to start. And then if your thyroid antibodies are negative and your TSH is between 2.5 and 4, we do like to try natural therapies first because usually if your thyroid antibodies are negative, then it has something to do with like your HPA access. Um, you know, there's just an endocrine imbalance going on and sometimes you can get that fixed pretty quickly just by um, some natural therapies. And so at that point, you want to retest your TSH in three months. 
Um, if you do get pregnant during that three month period of time, let's say you keep trying and you don't want to wait, then you want to get your TSA TSH tested again as soon as you can. And if it's over 2.5 at that time, then we'll suggest, um, hopefully your doctor will suggest to put you on some thyroid medication because you're pregnant. Uh, so again, your doctor is likely to have a different opinion than ours. And so if he or she refuses to treat you based off of our standard of treatment guidelines, um, then you definitely want to consider seeking out a second opinion. So it's really that important. Like I said, it's going to reduce your risk of miscarriage and um, it's really going to support the health of the pregnancy uh, if, if you have your thyroid in check and making sure it's really healthy. Um, now, thyroid medication is very safe even in pregnancy, um, but it's like we mentioned, it's not going to fix why your thyroid is low in the first place. Um, there's always a reason behind that. So whether it's autoimmunity or other imbalances, it's always a good idea to work with a qualified practitioner to restore balance so your condition doesn't continue to get worse. Or so flare postpartum. <laughs> put on, yeah, exactly. If you're just put on thyroid medication, it just, it doesn't go away. There's a lot of other lifestyle things that need to happen. Um, and so you can go listen to episode 39. It's all about the thyroid and it's going to help teach you a lot about how to investigate and start addressing the root cause of any thyroid issues. Yes. So. Very true. Uh, I think that pretty much covers it for thyroid. Yeah. We definitely, mm -hmm. definitely recommend testing that full panel. Lately I've been seeing a few more free T4s at the very least on thyroid screenings and that are coming from conventional providers. So TSH is, is all they typically screen for. I have been seeing a few more free T4s make the list, which is nice, um, but we really need to be getting a, a fuller picture and testing those antibodies to see what's going on. And uh, like Dr. Haley mentioned, if those aren't positive, then it's usually a lot easier to correct a thyroid imbalance if there's no autoimmune condition going on. You know, the endocrine, something off in the endocrine system, the HPA axis, chronic stress, something like that. Or it could be as simple as like nutrient deficiencies, mineral deficiencies that are essential for your thyroid to function properly, like selenium and zinc and iodine and, and things that you may be deficient in in your diet. And we can get those up really quick and get your thyroid back on track. So, yep, listen to episode 39 for more details. And that brings us to our last category that we're going to talk about, which is some other screening tests that your doctor likely won't offer to you. You will probably need to request these, but they absolutely are worth requesting. Um, so the tests that we're going to talk about right now are vitamin D, an assessment for anemia and or your iron status, um, homocysteine and or methylmalonic acid, and hemoglobin A1C. If you don't know what any of those are, I'm going to talk about them right now. Um, so vitamin D, this is an easy test that a lot of doctors just either won't do or for some reason don't seem to be able to justify with a diagnostic code to get this covered by insurance. I've had several clients that I've referred to their physicians to request this test and they've come back and said, they were going to charge me like $300 and insurance wasn't going to cover it. Um, this, is a, it this is an inexpensive test. Uh, if you do it outside of the conventional insurance billing system, mm -hmm. it's easy to get. Um, so this is an important one. And I think a lot of doctors just don't know about the especially the new research on why vitamin D in preconception and pregnancy is so important. But when vitamin D is low in mom, it can lead to fertility issues. It can increase the risk of miscarriage, especially in early pregnancy. It's uh, been associated with 
complications like preeclampsia, preterm birth, gestational diabetes, and then tons of different complications in baby. Um, so, you know, their immune system development and the risk for autoimmune disease, the risk for developing autism or other neurodevelopmental delays, risk of like obesity and metabolic problems. So one, one little nutrient like this, which actually functions more as a hormone in the body, can have this much of an impact. It's a simple test to do. Um, and we should hopefully be able to convince your doctor to run it for you. And if you can't, yeah. get it elsewhere. I think I mentioned this before, but uh, diagnosis code to tell your doctor to help get this covered is a family history of osteoporosis. Most oh, yeah. people have a family history of osteoporosis. So just tell your doctor that you have a family history of osteoporosis and you want to get your vitamin D checked and hopefully that will pass. Or if you've had vitamin D tested before in the past and you know that it's been low or quote unquote, wink, wink, low, then that's another code they can use if you've had previous history of vitamin D deficiency. So you want to get it rechecked. Yeah. And that's basically, this is just the, the justification that doctors are using to the insurance company to have this covered by insurance, because it really mm-hmm. is a very important, very easy screening for some of the things that I just mentioned that could be. Also, this is a lab that doesn't really need a doctor to interpret. So you can go get a direct to consumer vitamin D test. You can find a vitamin D test at so many different uh, websites online, like directlabs.com, I think is what I mean. I don't really know. But uh, so if they still refuse, absolutely just go get it on your own. And this is also something that I offer as a part of a preconception health assessment, in addition to several other labs, including the ones that I'm about to talk about. Um, So the next nutrient that we want to make sure that we're assessing for is iron status. This is a super common nutrient deficiency among women. You're particularly at risk if you have a history of heavy bleeding during your menses, but it's estimated that 10% of women enter pregnancy already anemic or borderline and on their way to anemia. And because your blood supply has to expand so significantly when you're pregnant to uh, feed nutrients to your baby, this it's very common to become anemic during pregnancy. And it's really important to address this during preconception if possible. So chronic anemia during pregnancy can lead to things like preterm birth, delivering at a low birth weight um, for your baby and uh, other complications as well, including um, developmental delays in baby. So a few tests that can help assess your iron status um, are a complete blood count, a ferritin level, um, which is stored iron in the blood, and possibly also testing your serum iron and total iron binding capacity, as well as a percent saturation test as well. So on the complete blood count, you'll want your hemoglobin levels to be at least above 12.5. I typically like to see them a little bit higher than that, maybe around 13.5 if possible. I mean, early pregnancy, these markers are going to decrease a little bit naturally, Um, But before pregnancy, it's nice to have them around those levels so that you can be pretty confident that you're at least not going in anemic. And then ferritin should ideally be above 50 nanograms per milliliter. And then if your levels are less than optimal, you will likely need to supplement with iron. Um, By the way, there are also like 400 different types of anemia. So when you're having a practitioner look at a complete blood count and some of these other tests for you, just really important to make sure that they know how to assess these properly so they can help determine whether or not this is more of an iron deficiency anemia or another type of anemia. But if your levels are less than optimal and it's determined that this is likely related to iron, you will likely need to supplement with iron um, as well as increase it in your diet if you are currently excluding a lot of iron-rich foods. Like if you're not 
eating seafood and you're not eating red meat and you're not really getting many of the plant-based sources. Plant-based sources are not as well absorbed with iron as animal sources. So that's something to consider. If you feel like you're getting a lot of plant-based iron and your levels are still low, you may just need to increase some of those more animal-based iron-rich foods. Um, and you can also increase your iron absorption by either supplementing with or eating vitamin C-rich foods alongside your iron-rich foods. And that can help with absorption. And uh, looking into digestion, like if you have chronically low iron, uh, your digestive function might be to blame for that. You could have like a bacterial overgrowth or parasite or something that's stealing your iron. Or if you're just experiencing low stomach acid and you're not able to get that acidity low enough in your digestive tract to absorb your iron. So those are all things to consider. And just depending on what your levels are, that will determine how much you need to supplement with. Um, hopefully your doctor is well-versed on well-tolerated forms of iron. Um, just, we don't recommend taking something like ferrous sulfate, which is what a lot of doctors recommend. It's poorly tolerated. It can cause digestive discomfort and constipation. So opting for a form like iron bisglycinate or what are some of the picolin? Is there a um, iron? Succinate maybe. I don't know. It's been a yeah. while. I always, I will, it's not been a while. What am I talking about? I, I prescribe it all the time. I always prescribe iron bisglycinate. Yeah. So that's kind of my go-to. Well. Yeah. And those, that tends to be the best tolerated form. Um, but yeah, avoiding those, that sulfate form is, is definitely going to be in your best interest because you probably won't feel very good if you're taking yeah. that. Yeah. So the next couple of tests, I typically do one of these first and then the other, if the first one is a problem. So the first one that I start with is homocysteine. And this is, these two tests are an assessment of your B12 and folate status to help determine whether or not you need additional supplementation or dietary intake of um, B12 and folate. So homocysteine is an intermediate product. It's, a, it's an amino acid that we don't actually use to build any important proteins in our body. Um, and this is an intermediate product of the methylation cycle. When it builds up in the bloodstream, it can cause issues with fertility and pregnancy complications, one of which is like blood clots or leading to like early miscarriage. So homocysteine is definitely not something that you want to be high. If it is high, that's a good indication that methylation isn't working well and that you'll need some nutritional support for that methylation cycle. Um, methylmalonic acid is the second test. So if homocysteine comes back high, I may also look into a methylmalonic acid. When I'm ordering this, it's a fairly spendy test compared to some of the other ones that I'm, you know, doing through like LabCorp. And so, um, I don't always do it up front unless I suspect, or somebody has like really significant symptoms of B12 deficiency. Um, but I will do it as a follow-up test if homocysteine comes back high. And um, so methylmalonic acid or MMA, and that's a B12 metabolite. So if that's high, that can indicate that you are B12 deficient. So these two tests together can help assess that B12 and folate status and help determine whether or not you need to supplement and how much you might need to supplement with uh, above and beyond what's already in your prenatal. And we talk extensively about um, what to look for in your prenatal and that how to choose the best prenatal supplements course. Um, an optimal range for methylmalonic acid is below 250 nanomoles per liter. And then homocysteine, uh, we ideally like to see below eight. I kind of like if it's above seven, I'm kind of like getting a little bit concerned about it and just making sure that we're optimizing the vitamin status at that point. And then I think this is the last one. Yes, it is. The last one we're going to talk about is hemoglobin A1C. And hemoglobin A1C 
this test reflects the average blood glucose concentration in your bloodstream over the past about 90 to 120 days, which is the life of a red blood cell. And this, is, uh, this result is reported as a percentage of the glycated red blood cells, which means the percentage of your red blood cells that have irreversibly attached to glucose. Um, so a normal result, so in conventional medicine, is typically considered 5.7 or less. If it's 5.7, that's creeping into the pre-diabetic range. Um, functionally, though, we'd like to see this under 5.4. So if this is elevated above 5.4, this is indicating that you might have some blood sugar imbalances. This could affect fertility and the quality and health of your pregnancy. Diet and lifestyle changes are really the first line therapy with elevated A1C. And that really means changing the amount and the type of carbohydrates that you're eating, making sure that you're exercising appropriately and managing stress well. So A1C is a great screening tool. Some other ones that I use in conjunction with A1C to more fully assess blood sugar status are also a fasting glucose, which is usually like the last thing to go out of range. Uh, but if A1C is high, you might see some issues with fasting glucose. Um, also an insulin level. And that's part of the, the typical screening testing that I do as well. So if you are having trouble getting any of the testing that we're recommending here from your doctor, or you're just interested in getting a more comprehensive functional assessment of your health during preconception, you can consider booking a 20-minute consult with me and we can talk about your options for testing. I do offer a preconception health assessment that includes a full blood panel, uh, which has all of these tests in it, a full thyroid panel, as well as several other markers, just to get a really comprehensive look at what's going on with you and see if there's any ways to intervene and support you throughout this preconception process to um, optimize fertility and lower risk as much as possible during pregnancy. Yeah. And if you are local to the Portland, Oregon area, or you feel like you'd be up to traveling, uh, I am available at Synergy Women's Health to uh, see you there as well. And I do accept um, most insurance plans at that uh, location too. Awesome. So I think that we have given you guys a pretty good overview of what we wanted you to know about the preconception care visit, what you should be discussing with your doctor. Like we mentioned at the beginning, there is a much more comprehensive discussion of these topics as well as resources and printouts and things to just walk you through this whole process and kind of teach you everything you need to know to be prepared for having this discussion with your doctor, especially if your provider is very, very conventionally minded and maybe not as open to some of these subjects that can be really helpful to go in prepared and, and know exactly what to talk about. So we hope we gave that to you this week. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out via email or on Instagram. You can reach me at info at tinyfeet.co. And anything you ask will be added to the pool of questions that we'll do for future Q&A episodes. And um, we did our second one last week and that seems to be popular for you guys. So we look forward to doing more of those in the future and we will see you back here next week.